Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pep Talks. I'm Maritza. And I'm Shamina. We're here to explain the mission of our podcast, which is basically to start to reduce the stigma around mental health, which is a huge and very important topic to both of us. Um, And then also just discuss important issues regarding mental health, um, but also emotional health and wellness also. Shamina is going to give you a little bit of information about our social media um, and where you can find us if you want to connect with us in any other way. Yes. So we are on Facebook and our handle is Pure Empathy, which is our practice name. And we are also on Instagram. And again, our handle is Pure Empathy. So you can follow us on Instagram for any like mental health tips, tricks, updates about the practice, what's going on. Um, And you can like us on Facebook for similar content. So check it out. You don't want to miss what's going on on our socials. For sure. And Shamina has taken that over for me, which has been Super amazing, um, because for any of you who are with us before, um, you know that basically I just share posts, um, and Shamina comes up with some really great creative posts, so go check those out. I'm I'm checking them out all the time and being surprised by um, our our own site. I'm like, oh, this is lovely, so yeah, feel free to check the social media out. He does an excellent job with that. Um, But before we jump into our topic for today, which is going to be teaching you and telling you a little bit about the background of our practice, um, how it came to be and how we got to be here and what we hope for it to be in the future, of course. Um, But what I want to say is a little disclaimer. Everything that is included in this podcast is our opinion. Um, But those opinions are backed by our experience, our training, and our education. So we are both licensed therapists. I'm a licensed mental health, I'm I'm sorry, licensed mental marriage and family family therapist. Oh my gosh, I can't get my credentials out. I was like looking at you and I'm going to say you were. Shamina is a licensed mental health counselor. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, my apologies for stumbling over that, but I'm not done with my espresso yet. So um, we'll see how the rest of the podcast goes as I get, you know, juiced up. But um, but anyways, we're both licensed professionals. And what that means is that we've gone through rigorous education and vetting processes for um, our state to be licensed. Um, I believe Shamin has actually done this in multiple states now since the pandemic um, and serving clients telehealth. So she's been serving clients across different state lines as she gets approval. Um, But essentially, that means we have a lot of backing um, to what we're talking about. But this forum, this podcast is really going to be us sharing some of our our experiences, things that we've come to understand as we've been working with our clients over the years, and just from our own self and personal growth. Um, So please keep that in mind as you're listening to this. This is not to replace the need for therapy or any other medical provider. Okay, absolutely. And if you hear anything that um, you find interesting, or you want to learn more about our practice, check out our website, which is www.pureempathyllc.com. You can book with um, our counselors that we have. I would be one of them, or it's a um, sometimes takes new clients, but usually does not. <laughs> so, and we also have a, a <laughs> yes, we also have another clinician. Her name is Alyssa at the practice. So if you hear something on here and you want to, you know, talk more about this with us or wanting to work with us as clinicians, feel free, visit our website and you can go towards our online booking platform. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and getting in and getting access to our services is as simple as we've been able to make it. So um, with that said, I will allude to future podcasts where we'll talk about that, like getting in and starting with services. Um, but to say that what I'll segue into is how Pure Empathy came to be and kind of give a little background on um, how I came up with the business name and what I was thinking when I was creating it and all of that. Um, so my background is when I started out, I actually went to a private university and I really, really enjoyed my education despite some of the stuff that people say about private universities. I really, really had a great time. All of the professors that taught us were current clinicians, meaning they had to be doing hours in the chair, actually providing services in the general population to teach um, in that role. And it was really nice to see people that not only have the educational background, but were in real time dealing with real current issues. Um, so I really enjoyed my education. And when I was doing my student internship, I was at a crisis center and we did a lot of rape crisis um, and in general, just trauma work. And I wasn't actually expecting to do that at all. Um, I really, really wanted to work in hospice and do grief work and like end of life stuff because I really, really enjoyed those classes when I was in undergrad and then again in grad, like um, the aging classes, death and dying, those topics were really um, interesting to me. Um, and future, this alludes to me being a very existential therapist is probably why they're that, so. That does make so much sense now because I never knew that. And I'm like, why does she gravitate towards that? I, yeah, I don't know. I just end up in the existential camp. No matter where I might think I want to be, that's that's where I land. So, so and that's why I really like those topics. Um, and they were really fascinating to me. So I really wanted to work in a hospice. But um, the background there is that when I was applying for different um, internships in hospice, they were really only taking social workers at the time. Mm. Um, I've realized this can vary um, over the years. They've started to take more MHCs like Shamina and MFTs like myself, but um, typically they want social workers and, and that has to do with billing and other stuff, which we'll bring our practice manager on Chris to talk about in other episodes. So stay tuned. Um, but really I wasn't able to land a hospice position and I, and I got put in the trauma position. At the time, of course, I'm sure you can relate to this. I mean, I was just grateful for an internship. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I was just like, phew, I got something. It's okay. I'm not going to complain. Let me learn about trauma because I had not done any of my research at the, toward the end of my program in trauma. I had really been specializing around um aging, psychology, and grief. So um, even though our, our programs can be very general, we do tend to start specializing early when we're doing our research uh, at certain parts, even during the master's program. And so I'd really start to specialize in that way. Anyway, so end up doing trauma work, um, was pretty resistant at first, pretty nervous, pretty scared, especially when they were like, we're gonna give you some kids. And I was like, oh my goodness, oh. <laughs> Oh, I have, what do I say to a kid that's been traumatized in this kind of way, you know, just how do I, how do I work with them, but I ended up falling completely in love with trauma work and everything to do with trauma. Um, and I still actually do grief work. So I, I do see clients that um, have lost a loved one um, and even clients that have traumatic grief. Um, so for example, like working with parents of, of children that were DV fatalities and that kind of thing. Um, so that's definitely traumatic grief work. It's like a blend of those, but I fell in love with trauma. And when I decided to leave the, the agency setting that I had been in for many, many years to finally go out into private practice, I really wanted to um, 
create something that represented that, that I was really about helping people heal from trauma. And I wasn't sure how to put that message out there because um, I, I very quickly realized that this is actually my second private practice. My first, I very quickly realized that um, word of mouth referrals for things like sexual trauma and domestic violence <laughs> aren't very forthcoming. People aren't just like, oh my God, I, I have this really amazing therapist, um, you know, and she really helped me through this. People are passing on the word for anxiety, depression, even ADHD, even though there's still a lot of stigma there. Um, but typically for things like really serious and significant traumas, um, especially when I say traumas, those that happen to the body. So the physical abuse, sexual abuse, people aren't just like telling their friend um, right. that they, they found this great therapist who helped them, you know, really heal and, and get back to themselves. Um, so that was really difficult because I saw a lot of my peers getting word of mouth referrals and I wasn't sure how to do that. Um, and figuring out the marketing piece was very difficult and a challenge for me. So when I started Pure Empathy, I wanted to make sure that the message was clear that, of course, we can help everyone who kind of vibes with us, if you will. Like if you feel we're a good fit for you, um, that's really an important piece in therapy. So cool, come on in. But to convey that what I was really about was like trauma-informed care, making sure that every single person who comes to our practice or doesn't, um, because we will get people who are referred to us and we're not able to take them. So even the people I end up having to refer on, I want to make sure I'm doing that in a way that I'm assuming they're having the worst day of their life. Um, and that's the way I'm treating them no matter what. And that's really kind of like that uh, cornerstone of like, trauma-informed care is you're treating everybody like they've had a significant trauma um, and you're, you're kind of always holding that in mind that they might be in that worst moment. And so I wanted to convey that, but I also wanted to convey some other elements of um, myself and what I wanted the practice to be compared to a lot of what I've seen out there. Um, so yeah, so I came up with Pure, I'm about to take a coffee sip, so hold <laughs> We need the espresso boost. I, I was recently my birthday and I got an espresso machine for my birthday. So I'm oh, experimenting. So cool. And it's very exciting. But <laughs> but um yeah, so I came up with the word pure second actually. So empathy came out first. And the interesting thing about the empathy was um I was thinking about it a little bit differently. I had done my supervisor training actually. Mm -hmm. um, and during my supervisor training, my supervisor had mentioned a Tony Robbins clip and shared it where he was talking about building rapport with people um, and the ways to make those quick connections um, or to make them quicker. And he talked about, for example, let's say somebody, you're talking with somebody and they make a very distinct like gesture with their hands when they're talking about something. He's like, if you kind of work that in a little bit, it's that mirroring effect, you know, right. you would mirror their gesture and that would create like a thread of connection, like we're similar. Um, and that creates what I was saying is he was calling it rapport. Um, but when I thought about what is really rapport, um, it's empathy, right? It's like either I'm trying on your experience or I'm understanding the inside of your experience rather than having sympathy like, oh, from the outside. Um, and so one of the things my, my original supervisor, the one that trained me to become a supervisor, always told me was that I built rapport faster than most clinicians she had seen. She goes, I think that's a superpower that you have is you can go into a room and you can kind of connect with really people from all different types of backgrounds really quickly. 
Um, and so I thought like, what is that? What is that that I'm doing? Yes, it's rapport. And I thought it's empathy. Like people are, are getting a sense of empathy, like a sense of true, like I understand where you're coming from. Um, I kind of uh, am, am peering inside your world or I'm trying on this maybe feeling that you might be feeling and, and identifying it myself. Um, and so I thought that's really a sense of empathy and that's where I got the word. So I got really like, I want that in the title somewhere. Yeah. Um, and of course, obviously, it's a good word for therapy practice, right? <laughs> Empathy. Um, but to me, it meant more than just like, I feel you, you know, or I feel what you feel. It really meant like understanding a person's experience, finding the ways that we're similar. And to me, that's really vital for me as a therapist. If, if I'm with a client, I need to find ways in which we're similar, because to me, then I will always be able to maintain empathy for this person in front of me, no matter how hard their journey gets. Um, yeah. And so for me, that's a really vital part of how I practice. And I wanted that in the title. The pure is because I simply hate when things get too complicated. It's frustrating. And I think it causes everybody immense amounts of anxiety when things are unnecessarily complicated. And I have worked in many a places where things are just unnecessarily complicated all the time. And I wanted a sense of, um, I'm constantly going to work to simplify these processes. Like I, I will work hard to make sure that people can access us. And even if we're not available, that we can get them to somebody else that, that we can in, in as much as within our control, simplify the access to empathy, basically having an empathetic ear to, to listen to you and to be with. So the pure came from the sense of like, I wanted the practice to be pure. Um, I wanted it to be simple for both us as the therapist, but also our clients coming in. Um, and so therefore pure empathy came about there. I love that. <laughs> I love that. How long from like start to finish, did you come up with this concept and this title? So I would say there's two answers. One, it's been baking since even before I was a therapist meaning like my mind was always working on something much larger than I, I could reach at the time. Like that's just constantly and chronically who I am. Um, and it was about three days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that was not long at all. <laughs> when I put pen to paper, it was about three days. Like, um, Shamita knows because I recently sent her a list of ideas for podcast topics for us to talk about. And I, I told her, I said, I do have a ton of ideas. And I said, I probably have several spread out across many journals and many notepads all over my world here. And I sent her a bunch and she was like, yeah. That is a lot. <laughs> um, so generating ideas, I had pages and pages of business names that I was staring at often and none of them were clicking. Um, and I, I, I finally landed on empathy. I kept seeing that pop up and I was like, I know I'm holding on to that. Um, and then when I really honed in on the pure, it was actually, I was taking like a very silly, like online, what's your marketing style type quiz um, for one of these things. And something about it came out and it was a, like you like things simple was basically the key term. And when I was reading the description, I saw the word pure and I was like, oh, that's a better way for simple because simple empathy doesn't sound good. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I needed a word that conveyed that, but like went with it. Um, so yeah, so that's how I got it. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And so we're with the podcast, we're playing on that title. So, you know, pep stands for peer empathy podcast, but they're also kind of like pep talks of, you know, how do we, how do we improve our mental health? How can we get a little more, 
I guess, pep in our, in our step and our emotional health and, and well-being. So we're kind of doing a little play on words with that, with uh, each podcast topic. Yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yes. love it. But yeah, so, so that's kind of how I came up with the name and I guess I'm going to pass it over to you so you can talk a little bit about how you came to Pure Empathy and like how, I guess, how we got connected and all of that. So I came to know Maritza. It was back in 2019 before the world broke. Um, (laughs) And I was a registered intern at the time. So basically what that means is I had graduated from my graduate program and I was working towards licensure. And when I had met Maritza, I was at a previous group practice, but I wanted another supervisor. So I honestly, I actually, I think I found you on Facebook. Like there's a, I think it's like a supervisor page or something. And there was like this spreadsheet and I had contacted a couple other people and I was like, I don't like your response. I don't like that. And you're like, yeah, sure. We can do this and this and that. And I was like, okay, cool. So I was happy already. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was like, this is a, this is a good idea. And I was, I I had a poor experience with my previous supervisor. So I was very hesitant, like going into this, like my trust in a supervisor was basically like non-existent. I was like, I don't know you, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? Because my, my last experience was not great at all. So that real quick, if you don't mind, like that is such a, for those of you that may be listening that are like aspiring therapists or you're in the process and, or something like that already, um, finding a supervisor is a really tough process. So I guess I just want to validate that for any listeners who may be dealing, um, because it's a very, it's similar to the vulnerability of going to therapy, you know, um, and I'm sure that we'll get very Brene Brown on you and talk about vulnerability at some point. We'll probably dedicate a whole time to that, but, um, you know, it's an incredibly vulnerable process and, and it's, it's definitely another one where you want to make sure you, uh, you have a connection, you have that empathy, you have some points of enough points of similarity that you can hear this person when they give you feedback, you know, um, and that you're able to relate. There are unfortunately just bad experiences out there where things are unhealthy. Um, but giving, you know, the benefit of the doubt is like that relationship is really vital because it's one where you're going to develop into the therapist you're going to become. Um, and once you get licensed, you're, you're really on your own, you know, uh, like always say the buck stops with you. Um, and it's, it's difficult to be ready for that. It is. And I am very grateful for our relationship now because it has helped me become the therapist that I am. But it, it's also really scary because who you choose as your supervisor helps you to become that therapist and, you know, learning your style and, and all of these kinds of things. So it's, a, it's an important decision to be able to make. So <clears throat> I think you and I had clicked very, very well in that like initial like session that we kind of did together of like yeah. this this is my style let me feel this out you know see how this is going to go kind of thing and then you became my qualified supervisor and so we would meet for supervision and then I ended up quitting that group practice and I was working for an agency shortly after that at the time and that was a big transition between the two 
and then that's, that's a completely different schedule for those of you who don't know um, yes. what we mean by agency we're we're mostly referring to the local nonprofit agencies where um although the, there's plenty of great therapists there and all of that you do run very high caseloads usually um unfortunately in our profession it can sometimes be for for incredibly low um wages or salary um but it's very different from private practice and that in private practice you can typically um depending on maybe the rules of if you're working in a group but you can typically kind of make your own schedule you have a lot more flexibility um you're probably not working near as many hours as you would work in in an agency where a therapist are doing that 40 hour work week or 42 and a half really if if you're you know taking out the, the unpaid lunches and things like this um but they're really working those 40 hour work weeks and those can be very grueling for for this type of profession as you can imagine yes it was <laughs> it was a lot i can remember i had i had one week so i worked 40 hours i had two hours for paperwork and I had 38 clients and everybody showed up and I can remember that week. And I was like, I, this is a lot. I don't know if I can ever do this again. So I'm glad to be out of that. But yeah, they, it's that thing they tell you in college, you know, I remember hearing this thing when I went to either like the welcome as a freshman, or maybe it was that first like university studies course or something like that, that I had to take. And they had said, it was a big question on the board. And it was like, how come I can work 40 hours a week, but I can't take 40 hours a week, meaning like courses. And they're like, because you have this much outside to study, you need this for this, you need. And so a three credit hour course is likely this many hours out of your week. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, it's three credit hours but it's truly this many hours and i feel it's a similar thing with being a therapist oh, it's yeah. not just our 45 50 minutes in the chair we're spending time outside doing what shamina was talking about progress notes we do a lot of documentation and that's typically if you even have time to keep up with that and on that type of schedule um which at 38 hours you couldn't but um on top of that then we do case conceptualization men it could be with a peer um like shamina myself and Alyssa do in the practice where we'll have treatment teams we all get together and we talk about our cases to make sure we're all sharp on our skills um or you could just be doing it in your own head i always say i i wish i i a little bit lived in the days where i could pace my study um thinking my thinking through my cases after after the session's over um i'm like man i bet that was really nice for four and young to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I wish we had that kind of time to just kind of hmm, hmm, hmm. And I never had space for that when I was in the in an agency setting. Um, and I was always very disheartened by that that I I would have to carve out a lot of my personal at home time to do that, and the balance never felt quite right for me. But but back to Shamina. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. So I was working at the agency and Maritza would drop these like little hints of, I, I, I want, I want you to come work for me. I want to recruit you. We are like-minded people. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I need, I need financial stability. I need PTO. I need my health insurance. We're not doing that. <clears throat> but it was always in the back of my mind. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. I got to eat. I got to eat, you know, I got to pay these bills. Yeah. Yes. And then the pandemic hit mm. and that changed everything for me. I think it really put into perspective 
the 40 hour work week in an agency as a clinician was not sustainable, especially, especially going through a pandemic. And it was a lot. We did transition to working from home. We had no like platform created. So at first we just had to do telephone sessions, which I worked with kids at the time. So I lost a lot of clients during that time because I mean, I'd work with, I think my youngest client was two and then my oldest was 18. So it's like, I'm not doing a phone call with a two-year-old or basically anybody the age under the age of like 12, because they're not going to be able to like be present, pay attention. And it's just not going to be therapeutically beneficial. So that put a lot of things in perspective. And I, I didn't like how the agency that I was working for was handling the pandemic. There was this really big push to get us back into the office. There was a lot of micromanaging when we were working from home going on. And then in September of 2020, I took Maritza up on her offer to join the practice and I quit my agency job and I've been here ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And we're so glad to have you. It's been super great. Um, having you on board. And yeah, I, 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 may, I think I've probably made this joke with you, but I know I've made it with other interns before is that I'm like the Horace Slughorn. Like I collect yes. a little group of people. Um, I'm actually not a Slytherin. A lot of people think I am, but I'm a Gryffindor. Okay. Um, <laughs> a Gryffindor wannabe Hufflepuff, which is very, I've got a lot of stuff going on. I'm a very complex individual, which is why I like the simplicity outside. <laughs> I like the complexity in, in me and my in my personality, not in um, you know my externals where it's a headache. But but yeah, I like to um, you know find and and like select um, you know interns to work with that that are like good quality therapists. And I I think that now that I've been doing this for so long, I've noticed that there are definitely people I meet and I'm like, okay, this person's got it, you know. And you can just kind of tell that sort of even without the education, even without the experience, they're probably a person who kind of does this thing. And that might be like, you might be the friend that everybody talks to about their problems, or even you could be like, more like me, I I think of myself as like the fun friend, like I can make people laugh at a funeral. Um, And they're just like, that was a genuine belly laugh. Like, how did you do that? And I'm like, timing, it's all timing, baby. (laughs) It's like like the comedic punchline's gotta be at that right moment. Um, But to say that uh, me and another colleague, we used to joke um, that over in our building, so I I worked at another trauma services. Um, I've worked in a couple different ones in the different local counties here. And when I worked at one of them, our office was separate from the rest of the um, agency. So they had a lot of programs and they were at a different location than us. And we used to say that our office was the one where you could hear the laughter coming out of the hallways and no one expected that when they come to trauma therapy they're very scared and nervous for obvious reasons yeah. and then they come down the hallway and over the sound machines they would hear ha 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 and people are like and we're like oh it gets real funny over here like you know we're like we can you know we have to have humor we have to have light in all situations you know um and i think that like maybe you're even one of those people you just you're good at shining lights in dark places you're the 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 great empathetic listener you know you just bring that naturally and then on top of that you added skill and stuff that that's a very excited me 
you know, I'm yes. like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Who are you going to become? This is great, you know? And and when I met you, I was like, oh, I was like, she's got it. We just got to like tone, like just tune in on the skills and she'll be great, you know? Um, so for me, it was very exciting when we met. Um, but of course, it also sad in that um, I understood, again, point of empathy, right? I understood yeah. the scenario you had gone through and not feeling like I can trust other people in this profession. Like I, I can't trust the people above me um, to do what feels right and what feels um, maybe ethical or uh, appropriate or trauma-informed even in a certain scenario. And that's super um, disheartening to me when I hear about those, of course. But it does also restoke my fire and go, okay, I have to keep doing this. I have to keep aiming for pure empathy, right? Um, so, yeah. And I think it's a, a nice way to stay grounded because we do hear about kind of these horror stories in the field or it's really easy to get like caught up and lost in, you know, ourselves or even our clients. And, and if that is our purpose and kind of rooting back to, the empathy. How can I be present? How can I offer this person this type of understanding and, and feeling seen and validated? Mm -hmm. That makes us good therapists because that is kind of like our, our guiding light there. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all people and we all go through these, and that's all, that's all that we want. Like we want somebody to be like, I see you, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. And I believe you. And that's yeah, literally yeah. it. Like all, all the rest of the work we can do, but if we don't have that foundation, then like we've lost our clients at that point. Yeah. Oh, I love what you said about like, I believe you. Cause to me that like gives me chills thinking about um, some of my early training, especially when we were working and seeing a lot of kids. Um, and, and the reason we saw a lot of kids over at the, the first place I worked is because they had the um, Child Advocacy Center for the county. Mm -hmm. And it was a really nice Child Advocacy Center, actually, that they have here in Tampa in that when a child reported um, a, a sexual assault, it, the process was to bring them there first, if at all possible, right? So meaning if, if they need a medical intervention first, they of course do that. But but if they could bring them there, they would bring them there and they had the one-way mirror. So the kid does one recorded interview and that's it. Um, so what happens if you don't have something like that is they do, um, multiple and numerous interviews being asked the same questions about what happened over and over again and you can of course imagine if you're distressed and you just went through something um, really traumatic and jarring the last thing you want to do is rehash it multiple multiple times um, so in the child advocacy center what they would do is they would they could take the kid for their the, the legal portion of it getting the interview and so they could get their judicial processes started then they would bring them downstairs to a therapist like right away. Um, and so we had that setup, which was really nice. But working with a lot of kids, I would notice some of the children uh, would make like really good progress. We used a model called TFCVT, which is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. It's really well-researched and really great to use with um, uh, minors who have experienced some type of trauma. And so we would use this, this model and I would see people that had move through it really well and they were doing really good um, and they would make progress and all of that and then I would see some kids that like it's just either progress was really really slow um, or or they would stagnate 
um, really hard in the therapy. And I was wondering what this was about. And of course, I talked with supervisors and other, other therapists about it. And we were in, I believe, maybe a training or a presentation of some sort. Yeah. Somebody was just talking about, you know, trauma healing and all of this. And they were saying that one of the major determining factors for the outcomes with TFCBT and with this model that we had been using for children was if the first adult they told believed them. And so essentially belief was the impact for the clinical outcome, had a major influence on clinical outcome, even though it wasn't anything I could control by the time they got to me, that had already occurred. Um, so of course, belief from us, us being able to sit there and say, I see you and believe you is wonderful. And we know the power of it now because we realize that some kids were having poor outcomes simply because the first person they told did not believe them. Um, and, and we see that happen time and again, where that's just, it's not that they can't heal. I don't want to make it sound like that. So let me clarify. It's not that they, they can't heal, move on and have a, have a good life. But what I'm saying is it's, it's a harder process for them to do so because they're, fighting against kind of what you were fighting against. Like, can I trust Maritza when you showed up in the first session? You weren't just kind of assessing me to see who I was, what is about, what's my clinical strengths, what's my style. You were also like, can I trust her? Because I've had an experience that told me uh, that's not always true, right? Um, and it's the same. It's the same with traumas, that it really shakes your foundation. Absolutely. And the, the guard was up. I was like, all right, we'll see. We'll see. And I think it's, it's really refreshing and and breathtaking that, you know, I did have, I would say it was a traumatic experience um, that I went through with, with that previous supervisor, but being able to even like heal from that as a therapist and, and recognizing like there, that's not everybody in the field. And there are, you know, great qualified supervisors and you can have a good experience, but it also kind of highlights how one negative experience can kind of derail the profession or even your profession. I mean, if I, if I had another one of those experiences, I don't know if I would have been able to like continue doing what I was doing because of the lack of emotional safety from. And all of your clients listening, just white. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) She wouldn't have been my therapist. What? No, you have to do this. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. if any of my clients are listening, you are safe. You are good. I am a happy therapist now and I am here to stay. Rooted. So I'm rooted. She's like, I'm here. I just like, that's like me. I always go like, if I didn't do this, what else would I do? And I've decided I have to go back to waitressing. <laughs> that's my only alternative. It's the only place I got to do a very similar thing. Um, you know, where yep. I got to love, suggest things that would make people happy and check in with them to see if they're all right. Um, and of course, being who I am, I go to the grocery store and everybody tells me their life story. Like my bagger is like, and my aunt said this, you know, and, and of course my, my partner and everybody around me is like, why did you ask? Why are they telling you this? And I'm like, I don't know. It just happens. I'm like, this doesn't happen to you. And they're like, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's to me, you know, like this is my life. So, so in some ways, that's what I'm saying. Some of us, I think are here because like, what, what else were we going to do? <laughs> like, honestly, like really what, what other, if you, if you think about it, um, you know, what other function or role could you have like you probably, and, I, and maybe I'm asking this directly to you, Shemina, because I've asked myself this, um, but what other function or role could you have that is as suiting to who you are? Yeah. I have, I, the only thing that I could possibly think of is 
and it's still like in the field and, and similar, but is like teaching about mental health. Cause that's something that like, I'm super passionate about because there's not enough education, especially with, with kids and adolescents. And I used to, mm-hmm. even when I was in high school, before I became a therapist, um, or I had just graduated, I was an undergrad. My mom was a high school teacher and I would come back to her classes and I would talk about like college life, or I would talk about, you know, how to, how to like survive when you get there. Or I did dual enrollment in high school. So I would come back and I'm like, what's the benefit between like advanced placement classes and dual enrollment. And I loved that. And then when I got into the mental health, I would come back and I would do like presentations about like psychology and like mental health and I even did that with some of my old high school teachers too I like created this whole thing and I'm like let me come to your class and let me like talk about this stuff and (laughs) and I think even then it was like I want to teach people I want them to know because I didn't know and if I knew you know what would have happened to me kind of thing yeah exactly exactly yeah so doing doing like the presentations um, yeah and the like psychoeducational stuff And I I think that kind of segues right into like our purpose for creating this podcast is to educate, is to have a platform where we can get out some of these topics, even if people are in therapy with us or are active clients, like these are things that we may not necessarily hit on in an individual session, but may pertain to their life or being able to educate on some of these um, lived experiences that you and I have had. And even like, what does that look like in in a clinical setting? Yeah, yeah, and definitely, and, and we'll, we'll kind of be talking to, you know, quite a broad audience, we hope, you know, um, like I said, you know, I kind of gave some information earlier about like what it's like to be an intern, we've talked about like how we work with clients and what our practice is about, um, and as we, like Shamina's saying, segue into like our mission, our purpose here, um, for me, you know, it really is just like the, the point in my life, so just so everybody knows, I just had my 40th birthday, and right hey. now I'm looking at the, all the grays that have come in. Um, and I'm calling them my wisdom highlights because I love a good positive <laughs> You would. Um, so even though I'm not like true hardcore CBT at the core of me, I love a good positive reframe. I think it's a great tool in your tool belt. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll, we'll talk, probably talk about that on a podcast too. Yep. We'll probably do one on, on that kind of just cognitive type work, um, and healing, but, but yeah, I really have been, um, obviously evaluating it's, it's a milestone birthday. So kind of naturally, um, and by default, because again, I keep landing in that existential cluster of therapists. And I was just reviewing where I'm at in my life, what I've accomplished, what I've done. And I realized I'm definitely sitting on a lot. Like I I have a tendency to um, not recognize how large the mountain of like maybe information or um, goodies even that I'm sitting on is. And I, my my blind spot, I would say, is getting that sort of organized to present I'm very good. If you catch me at the grocery store and you want to talk to me about psychology, I'll talk to you and I'll too about it. Like I'll talk your head off about something. You can catch me in the hallway of our office and I will talk with you all day about theories and concepts. Um, But putting it together in this kind of way in the podcast is something that is not a strength for me. I don't naturally think to do it, but here I sit with all this information, years of experience and training. And it just got to where I was reviewing. And I was like, I have to do some 
something with that. I need to share that. Um, I need to not be as much of an only child about it and share it with the world. So, <laughs> so in comes Shamina with her excellent organizational skills and her, okay, this is the steps that we would take to get there. And I go, ooh, steps, wonderful. <laughs> I was wondering, because I'll start in the middle and I'll go back to the front and then I'll be at the end, just like I read books. And, um, you know, I, I don't always follow a linear path with things. And so it's been helpful um, to kind of for us to collaborate, I think, and for me to take some of what, or most of what I've learned, most of what I, I have to offer and be able to put it out in this way. So hopefully this will be for the people who maybe don't get into CS or if you're even working with other therapists or anything, just this is a between sessions refresher, a between yeah. sessions pep talk, if you will, to get you thinking on a topic or concept that may be um, coming up for you or maybe something that is near and dear to your heart. We definitely hope to be talking enough about mental and emotional health and wellness to help even more people start to break down the stigmas that we hold on to, because I think they're there for all of us. Um, I feel like because we do this work as therapists, we're uh, a little more challenged to make sure that we're on top of these old beliefs um, that maybe we didn't even create. They could have been given. Right. They could have been handed down. Um, they could be given from society or group, all of these things. Um, but we've had to go through and scrutinize a lot of that for ourselves. And the benefit is we can now bring that to you and go, here's another way to think of it. it it's not this, it's actually this. Um, so my example is always like ADHD. You always see the, the meme of like, oh, butterfly, right? And I go like, maybe, maybe. Um, somebody may have a high level of distractibility with ADHD, but another person with ADHD may not be quite that distractible. And if you're just looking for the stereotypical, really, really watered down definition, um, you're going to miss the whole package and the whole package is a lot more. Yeah. I've yet to meet an adult with ADHD that didn't have one of the worst inner critics I've ever heard. Okay. I've yet to meet someone and it makes perfect sense to me. Um, Shamina and I were recently just talking with, with a friend of mine who has really is really been struggling and she's really certain like I, I do have ADHD and I encouraged her you know obviously like go get an assessment see a psychiatrist have an evaluation um, and they did find that she has significant symptoms and they want to treat her depression first um, and we're not really sure I, I from talking to her and knowing her personally I go yeah she's depressed because she can't get anything done not the other way around. And, and a lot of times it's difficult, especially in one session, I imagine, to find the root of something like that. But ADHD has more stigma, especially with the medication than depression. So these are moves sometimes that you'll see um, where a clinician will wanna treat the thing that has the less stigma or to give you the medication that is safer, less addictive, or has less stigma um, when really the other thing may be the issue. 
And so we hope to kind of shine a light on some of those things, why they happen, or again, these are our opinions from what we have seen and witnessed, why we believe they're happening, and hopefully help people to navigate the system better when they're outside of us in pure empathy, to kind of give you guys some of those tools to help you navigate the mental health system, understand yourself better, and, and again, just get a little, a little pep in your step for the day to go, hey, I may be struggling with this, but that's human. Um, there's nothing wrong with me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And just the normalization of mental health. I think with the pandemic, there's been this huge shift in, in our field and being able to, you know, there's so much more access to mental health. I mean, I'm a full telehealth therapist and I didn't even know that was a thing when I was in graduate school. And that's literally what I do for my, exactly what I do for my profession now. And, and so I can see such a wide variety of clients that I'm not stuck to one area of this state. I can see anybody throughout the state of Florida, which is awesome because now I can touch so many more people. Um, electronically, not physically. And (laughs) so, yes, and I'm super excited to, to be part of the podcast because Maritza does have a lot of ideas and I'm more of the like, all right, this is how we execute it. This is how we organize it. Like, what are we going to do with it? And just having another place to talk about some of these things. Cause throughout the week, I'm like, Oh, this is a really good topic or like, Oh, like, what do I do with this? And, you know, part of me is like, I'm going to write a book one day about all of this stuff. And then usually, you know, a couple of days later it's gone and Uh you know, I can't, I can't get it back until something else comes up. I'm like, Oh my God, this is really important. Like I want to talk about this. And so I think this is going to be a really helpful, excuse me, platform to just normalize the things that we're going through. And even as therapists being able to get to know that type of role even more, because we are human we are going through our own stuff. We are still going through a pandemic on our own in addition to holding space for our clients. And I think these types of platforms help to humanize us as well Mm -hmm. as normalize mental health and emotional health. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that's that's a big thing that, you know, I mean, you know, the Shamina that I work on is self of the therapist. Um, It's a big topic for me and like supervision is just helping um, every therapist that comes into contact with me or comes to supervision with me, help them understand that self of the therapist is going to be vital um, because underneath it, like Shamina is talking about, we're all just having a human experience and, and you're coming to our office or you're visiting Shamina's virtual office, um, you know, to, to have a shared human experience in a way. Of course, we have uh, a higher standard of ethics than that we're holding ourselves to and we have training and skills but ultimately, when somebody is having that worst day and we're with them, um, you, you don't want some stodgy, <laughs> uh, super, you know, maybe. Um, so tell me how that makes you feel. Kind yeah, of exactly. <laughs> like, maybe that's not the time for that question. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of that question. Oh, my gosh. How does that make you feel? Wow. I, I see that all the time. And that's the one that drives me, I think, the most up the wall, which is how does that make you feel? And I always go like if I see it in movies or whatever, I go, nobody can make you feel anything. <laughs> you feel how you feel in response to what happened and that's fine but that is yours like no no like I'm very like don't claim my feelings those are my feelings um you don't get to control my feelings like you might be angry because somebody did something that like provoked that anger sure but they didn't make you feel angry because another person might feel sad 
yeah. you know, another person might feel um, excited in the same scenario, just change the context. Um, and we'll probably talk about that too, a little bit of like perspective shifting and, and realizing what's ours versus what somebody else's. Um, but, but yeah, I just always think like there's, there's a moment to just kind of make sure that the self of this therapist is pure right? To make sure that we are constantly and chronically checking our ego at the door um, before every session so that we can actually be with another person in their experience. Um, not to mean we don't ever share any of our own stuff. I, I don't think it's a completely one-sided situation, but to say that um, what we do share is for those rapport building, those points of empathy and connection, that it's not, um, now it's about me right? It's still always about the client that I'm working with, the person in front of me who's, who's come to me and paying me to help them through this. Um, and so our disclosures, the, the ways that we show ourselves um, are going to be things that help move the relationship, the therapeutic relationship forward or deeper. Um, those are things that we'll be doing to disclose that there's a real self under here because it helps other people say, okay, they're just a real person. They still have struggles. They're going through the world and they're really here to help me hone in on this for myself. You know, yeah. it does not make us infallible. <laughs> Absolutely. So stay tuned throughout the episodes and, and upcoming. And if there's something you really liked about what we talked about, if you have a particular topic that you would like us to be able to discuss, feel free, you know, shoot it in a message on Facebook. You could shoot it in a message on Instagram as well. Uh, we want to be able to hear from you guys, hear any feedback that you may have for us. So please don't hesitate to let us know if you enjoy what you're listening to, or if you have any feedback on something that we may not touch on that you'd like to be able to hear more about. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Let us know because we're hoping that this is going to be helpful for whoever comes across it. Um, and we definitely just want to make more topics about, like I said, mental and emotional health. Um, and we're super, super excited to get started with it. So yeah, thanks yes. for being with us on our first episode and stay tuned for what I hope is many, many more. Yes. See you then. All right. Bye. bye.